Welcome to the Satellite Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay. Yes, it's really me. Finally back. Um, I apologize for not being able to record regularly, but I'm hoping to get back on track in the next few weeks and get a few episodes in before the summer is over and even get a few banked for the fall. So if you have been waiting for me to record some of the content that I promised, well, here it is. This particular topic is one I've been wanting to record on for a really, really long time. I did a study on this topic last year that led to a lot of really deep personal revelations for me, and I've been wanting to share. So I actually recorded this podcast yesterday, came back this morning to post it, and it had been deleted off my computer. Don't know how. So this is a re-recording, and I'm hoping that it is coherent and good because I was very frustrated to see that after having the thing completely edited, it was not here on my computer when I got ready to upload it. But anyway, I wanted to come and talk to you about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is one of those things that I feel like growing up in church you hear a lot about and you get a lot of conflicting ideas about it because it's very rarely taught on. A lot of the teaching is not clear and part of the reason the teaching is not clear is because it's something that isn't addressed specifically and directly in the New Testament. So what I find is that you end up getting two camps here. The people that completely ignore the Sabbath think it's not anything we need to worry about at all and then some of the people that I ran into in college who practice what I would essentially call rabbinical Christianity as they hold to a lot of the Old Testament traditions, saying that things like the Sabbath and some of the dietary restrictions are things that did not change with the New Covenant. And I vehemently disagree. However, the Sabbath is one of those areas that's always just been kind of murky for me. So with the way my brain works, I decided to start off with just a good old-fashioned word search and Bible gateway for the word Sabbath. And so I wanted to share with you some of the passages from the Old Testament. So bear with me. I'm going to read a lot of scripture here. I'll try to summarize the spots where I can. But some of it I feel like is really just best to hear outright. So the very first passage that I saw was Exodus 16. And in summary, what it says is that God provided food for the people of Israel for six days and told them to rest on the seventh. They were told not to go out and to have their food for the Sabbath day prepared in advance. That's why... In the New Testament, they talk about Friday being preparation day when they talk about the stuff that has happened for the Passover. They had to prepare the Passover meal on a Friday because they couldn't do it on a Saturday because they weren't supposed to do any cooking. And what's interesting here, and this is what really struck me, is what the passage doesn't say. If you look through Exodus 16 and all the talk about the Sabbath, it never mentions worship as one of the intended duties for the Sabbath. And then on Exodus 20, which I'm going to go ahead and read starting with verse 9, God tells Moses, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male slave or your female slave or your cattle, or your resident who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. For that reason the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, Very clearly here in Exodus 20, it says that the Sabbath was supposed to include the cessation of work. And again, in all that it says there, worship is never mentioned. Fast forward to Exodus 23, verse 10. Now you shall sow your land for six years and gather in its yield. But in the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie uncultivated so that the needy of your people may eat. and Whatever they leave, the animal of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. 
For six days you are to do your work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from labor so that your ox and donkey may rest, and your son and your female slave, as well as a stranger residing with you, may refresh themselves. So here in Exodus 23, he repeats a lot of what it says in Exodus 20. But what I thought was interesting is that Exodus 23 makes it clear that the Sabbath is supposed to extend to all of society, including the fields, their servants, and the animals that were used for labor. And its purpose is explicitly stated in Exodus 23 as rest. And I feel like this is such a shift from how I grew up viewing the Sabbath. First of all, always viewing the Lord's Day as Sunday because that's the day we go to church in our culture. And so always hearing that Sunday was Lord's Day and essentially equating that with Sabbath, even though it wasn't until I got in my teens or 20s that I realized that that wasn't even the same day. And having this picture of Sunday supposedly being a day of rest and a day that we were supposed to treat with special care. When again, in reality, even if I was going to honor the Sabbath, Sunday isn't the Sabbath day. So I just reading through this, I see a lot of just well-intentioned but misinformed theology in my own background. And again, part of it's because I never got clear or even unclear teaching on the Sabbath. It's one of the things that I just don't feel like I was instructed on. As an aside to this, God straight up tells the people of Israel in Leviticus 25 and 26 that if they don't honor what he just said to do in this last passage, which is to give the land a year of rest after six years of farming, he says, if you do not give a Sabbath rest to the land, I will put you in exile so that the land can rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. And that is precisely what happens in the Babylonian captivity, putting Israel basically in timeout for 70 years to match the number of years they had skipped Sabbaths for the land, which was 490. So I thought that was really interesting. Now let's pivot from there to Exodus 31. And there's a couple things in this passage, and it's a long passage, so bear with me. But Exodus 31, 12 through 17 says a couple things that really stood out to me and honestly made me wrestle a little bit with my understanding of the Sabbath and what it means for Christians. Now, starting in verse 12. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now as for you, speak to the sons of Israel saying, You must keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, so that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore you are to keep the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it must be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among the people. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a permanent covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. Now, did you notice the emphasis I put on the things that are said there in the last two sentences? It says permanent covenant and forever specifically applying this to the sons of Israel. So here we are on this side of Jesus, knowing that Christ came to fulfill the law. And this raises a question for me that we're going to circle back around to at the end, which is if Christ is here to fulfill the law and the Sabbath is a permanent sign, how does Christ fulfill the Sabbath? And one of the things I found interesting was that in Exodus 35, they give some additional prohibitions. So it says in verse 2, for six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest of the Lord. We've heard that before. Here's what was interesting. 
End of verse 2. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So the prohibition against kindling a fire was interesting to me because it doesn't seem to be prohibiting the act of making a fire itself like you might do if it was cold and you needed warmth. But it seems like fire here might be symbolic of work itself. And a lot of jobs would have required fire. That's still the case now. If you were a smith and worked with metals, even if you were cooking, which they weren't supposed to be doing on the Sabbath, that would require lighting a fire. So this seems like it could just be an elaboration on the previous prohibitions against work. With the point being, God is saying, hey, the prohibition on work isn't just limited to the field. In your home, I want you to use this as a day of rest also. The restrictions that apply outside the home also apply inside the home. Now, the part that I really struggle with is that Sabbath breaking was a capital offense. And in Numbers 15, verses 32 through 36, you have an example of the Israelites being out in the wilderness. One of the men is out found gathering wood on the Sabbath day, which was considered work. And when Moses and Aaron go to God, God says he needs to be put to death. So they have him taken outside of the camp and stoned. Not only killed, but killed brutally, not only in the sight of the other Israelites, but by the hands of the other Israelites. And man, I I struggle with this. I, I really do. I, I have a hard time understanding why this is an offense that deserves death. And it's really at its core an emotional problem because logically I understand, as we see here throughout the Old Testament, God has given several direct commands to not do these things on the Sabbath day. So this person who is unnamed here is in direct violation of a direct command from the mouth of God. And, and truthfully, we know that all sin deserves death. But what I just don't understand is why death was the penalty to begin with. And these are the kind of passages that skeptics will point out and be like, you claim to have a loving and merciful God. What do you do with this? And it's it's a tough question to answer and one that we're not going to answer here. But but it's in the book. We don't need to skip around it. We don't need to shy away from it. We don't need to act like it doesn't exist. We need to acknowledge that it's there and we need to wrestle with it. And one of the things that makes it even more difficult is that there are some examples in the Old Testament of people doing things on the Sabbath that would seemingly fall into the category of Sabbath breaking, but they aren't condemned for it. Here's a really interesting story from 2 Kings chapter 11. Ahab and Jezebel had a daughter named Athaliah who was a very evil woman. And after her son, who was in line to rule, is killed, she then decides to try to completely end his line and take over the kingdom herself. So the rightful ruler is a baby named Joash. And some of the remaining royal family smuggle him out and hide him. And he remains in hiding for six years while Athaliah, who in my head I picture looking like Yzma from the imprisoner groove. I don't know why. But Athaliah rules in his place. The high priest at the time, a guy named Jehoiada, who is actually related to Joash through marriage, decides to devise a scheme to get Joash back on the throne. So the too long didn't read version of this is that he gets a group of priests to agree to help him. So as you know, the priesthood and Levites rotated through. They had specific days and times when they served. So he had a group of priests agree that when they came off the rotation, they would go into the temple and take up shields and swords that David had brought into the temple to store there. They would guard the temple, and then Jehoiada would anoint Joash as king. Athaliah finds out about it, goes into a rage, 
and they kill her. Now, the interesting part is that all this happens on the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, you have Jehoiada anointing someone king and these priests taking up arms to protect this new king. And yet on this Sabbath day, they are not condemned for what they did. And the simple question is, why? In part, I really think that this goes to some of what Jesus talks about in the New Testament in Matthew 12 and Mark 2. Jesus is under attack for healing a man's withered hand in a synagogue because it's the Sabbath and you're not supposed to do any work and healing was work. And Jesus snaps back and says, it is always lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then in Mark 2, he says, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath, indicating that the responsibility to do good and to glorify God overrules any human restrictions and human wisdom about what we should or should not do on the Sabbath. And so in the case of these priests, reestablishing the line of David, which is the line that God has promised is supposed to be on the throne so that that line is not wiped out, superseded the need to not work, in air quotes, on the Sabbath. So after we just talked about how restrictive Sabbath laws are and how seriously God takes Sabbath breaking, it's also worth pointing out that there are examples where the Sabbath is profaned by people doing things that glorify God and God's cool with it. In fact, Jesus does it himself in the New Testament. He breaks the Sabbath to eat grain and, and heal. So while Sabbath restrictions were real and important to God, there was a greater principle and a greater law at work in certain cases that made Sabbath breaking acceptable. Now, having said that, make no mistake, God wanted the Sabbath honored. And in several of the prophetic passages, he points to Sabbath breaking being a reason that he's punishing Israel. But in passages like Isaiah 58, he points out to Sabbath keeping as being a reason for blessing Israel. But in Jeremiah 17, you have the Lord saying in verse 21, Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Fast forward to verse 27. But if you do not obey me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortresses. And I'm not sure here if the prohibition is against lifting anything specifically or if the bringing of a load through the gates indicates like commerce and therefore trade and work. So I don't know enough about the context here to understand if that's what it's saying. But the severity that God treats it with is clear again. And in Ezekiel 20, you see it again, starting in verse 12. Also, I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between us so they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. Yet the people of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not follow my decrees, but rejected my laws by which the person who obeys them will live. And they utterly desecrated my Sabbaths. So I said I would pour up my wrath on them and destroy them in the wilderness. And this continues a pattern we see in the Old Testament prophecies of Sabbath breaking being listed as one of Israel's sins, right along with idolatry, sexual immorality, what have you. Now, having looked at all this and established all this, what I still haven't answered yet is the question of what does that mean for us now? What does this mean for New Testament believers on this side of the cross? So I found a really helpful article that was actually from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And the article makes a lot of very fascinating points that have really helped me contextualize the Sabbath in a way that I think works. 
better than the old views that I had on it that were very erroneous growing up. But one of the things they point out is that that passage in Exodus 16 that I read at the beginning of the podcast is actually the first time that Sabbath is used as a noun in the entire Bible. So from Genesis 1-1 through Exodus 15, there is no mention of the Sabbath. It's not mentioned with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's not mentioned in Egypt. There is no indication that the Sabbath was ever commanded or intended to be observed by God prior to the Exodus experience. That is very, very enlightening. And if you don't believe this, it's clarified in Nehemiah 9, 13-14 when Nehemiah writes, You came down on Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments, and you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. So, Nehemiah straight up says like, hey, you instituted the Sabbath at Sinai. That was part of the new revelation you gave to our forefathers. A Sabbath that had not been kept previously. And it comes up again in Deuteronomy 5, 2, 3. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Sinai. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all here alive today. And again, what this tells us is that observance of the Sabbath was specific to the Mosaic covenant. It was not featured prior to that. And as you dig through all the Old Testament prophecies where Israel's sins are listed, as well as the sins of other nations, there is one sin that you never see attributed to any other nation. The sin of Sabbath breaking. That sin is only ever attributed to Israel, and we just read some of those passages, and it is never mentioned as one of the reasons God brings judgment on another nation. Why? Could it be because of what we read earlier that the Sabbath was a covenant solely for Israel? Is that possible? When you consider the context of all the other passages we've looked at, it honestly seems likely. So then how do we reconcile that with our current practices where we don't really honor the Sabbath? Because in that first passage, when we talked about the Sabbath being a covenant between God and the sons of Israel, one of the things that you think about is, well, you know, in the new covenant, we are engrafted into the nation of Israel, spiritually speaking. We are part of God's people now. So do those restrictions apply to us now? And I would say that I think the New Testament seems to give evidence that that is not the case. That actually the New Covenant Sabbath is different than it was in the Old Covenant. And the place where you see this argued is in Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 is based around Psalm 95 where the psalmist writes that because of disobedience, the people were not able to enter God's rest. And that's an allusion to the people that disobeyed God in the wilderness and were not able to enter the rest, and I'm using air quotes here, of the promised land. So while the passage talks about how the people heard God's truth and did not receive it with faith, and so they did not walk in obedience to what God was telling them in the wilderness, in verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 95, the psalmist also says that if you hear God's truth today, do not harden your heart which seems to indicate that there is still a rest that it's possible for people to enter. So if that's really confusing, let me summarize it like this. The writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95 saying, Hey, 
We always thought of the promised land as being the place of rest. But here in Psalm 95, we see that there is another rest that the psalmist is saying that we can enter. And if that rest was only the promised land, the psalmist who is writing this years after they have already entered the promised land is indicating to us that there is a different kind of rest, not a physical one in a land full of milk and honey, but a spiritual one. And that is what the writer of Hebrews elaborates on. There is another rest. It's not the promised land. It's a spiritual rest. And it comes through faith and obedience to God. And he goes on to say in verse 9 of Hebrews 4. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. So there's a comparison and a contrast here. They were supposed to engage in physical rest every seventh day, and they rested from the wilderness and the oppression of Egypt in the promised land. In the new covenant, the rest that we receive is rest from our works, a.k.a. the weight and burden of working for righteousness through the law, something that we could never achieve anyway. That's the rest that we receive in Christ. He fulfills the Sabbath for us by giving us rest from the obligation to keep the law. So it's no longer about ceasing to cook or pick up sticks or wash clothes on the Sabbath day. It's about ceasing to work to please God through the law. And just as the punishment for failing to enter Sabbath rest in the Old Testament was physical death, the punishment for failing to enter Sabbath rest in the New Testament is spiritual death. That's one of the parallels. So after you hear all this theological mumbo jumbo, here's what I think the practical conclusion is. We are no longer bound to the Sabbath restrictions. And I believe that we can say that based on what's argued here in Hebrews and also the fact that Jesus himself broke the Sabbath. He broke it not in disrespect to the law, but because he was bringing us a new Sabbath and a better Sabbath. As Joshua led the people of Israel into a place of temporary rest, he's leading us into a place of eternal rest. And he points this out in Matthew 12 when he says, I am greater than the temple because he had already argued earlier that the priests are able to work on the Sabbath and execute their duties without being condemned. And he is greater than the temple that they work in, meaning he is greater than the priest who are doing God's work and aren't condemned. So if they can do God's work and not be condemned, how much more so should he be able to do God's work and not be condemned? And I think there is a lot of freedom in that. So I know that's a lot. That's very thick. I hope you find it helpful. I hope you find it non-heretical. Please let me know what you think. Yes, David, that's great. No, David, you're crazy. Somewhere in between. I would love to hear your thoughts. This has been David Thay for the Satellite Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.